This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Thank you for coming to this session on creating your storytelling workflow. We've got a great set of panelists lined up for us today. We've got Rockwell Felder. He's the co-founder at Squadcast. Rock is a CPA and entrepreneur, and he's made a business out of his passion for podcasting. He made the jump from corporate accounting to the startup world as he co-founded Squadcast. Rock, thanks for joining us. We also have Jonathan Hurley. He's the head trainer at Hindenburg. Woo. Jonathan develops and leads training programs for podcast and audiobook production. He graduated from Berkeley College of Music in 2004 and has been working in the music and podcast industry for over a decade. Don't look that old. <laughs> Welcome, Jonathan. We also have Stacy Goers. She is the senior product manager at ACAST. Stacy oversees all of the ACAST teams and products that podcasters use to publish and distribute their shows, including their new podcast subscription offering. Stacy was also previously at NPR. Ooh, I gotta get my NPR voice. Welcome, Stacy. And last but not least, well, depending on who you ask, <laughs> we have Dan Hughley. He's a senior marketing manager at Focusrite. Dan is a passionate podcaster, audio engineer, and pro audio marketing professional. He graduated with a degree in audio engineering from the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California. Also, I want to thank you, Dan. He's provided some seat drops, which has two sides, for their new Vocaster 2 interface. It's their, I believe, their first interface uh, developed solely for, uh, for podcasters. There's two sides of this. You can get a discount. And they are also raffling off one a day, I think it is. One a day. Yeah. So if you're here all week, multiple chances to win. So hold on to that card. Make sure you take that with you. All right. Let's get started. You know what, Dan? We'll go ahead and start with you. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. Let's start with gear. Since I, I just held up a piece of gear. You know, with all the bits, bobs, and knobs that are in front of us as we're podcasting, sometimes the physical is scarier than a digital. At least I know it is for me while I'm, I'm touching everything. What advice can you give us podcasters when using all the stuff to send out our sound and speech? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, you know, when you're brand new, uh, just you're going to be intimidated. So just take the time to learn and make sure that you don't use your gear for the first time when you're interviewing somebody for the first, you know, get your gear out, test your gear, play with your gear, practice with your gear. And, you know, there's tons of tutorial content out there. The YouTube University is great. Focusrite has a lot of great content as, as well as all of us. We have really great edit, uh, educational content. Uh, so yeah, just go, go learn and, you know, you're at a conference right now full of people doing the same thing you are. So get to know these people, get, uh, build your network. Um, and that's really, Kind of why I got everybody together here today uh, is because of this storytelling workflow. Is you know we all met at conferences like this, and now with the new product that Mark was talking about, we're all together. We're all partnered together because of that. Because of meeting at conferences like this and networking. So uh, yeah, with Vocaster you get Acast, Squadcast, and Hindenburg all in the box. So it's it's a great workflow. It, and I appreciate a little behind the scenes of how we all got together for this panel. And Mark like, too. I met Mark. Well, 
and me as well. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, but each one compliments each other for uh, creating a great story, uh, story workflow. Uh, so let me ask you, um, uh, Rock, do you have anything to add to that as far as uh, some of the gear and, and how, to handle, how to handle anything? Yeah, at Squadcast, we're pretty big on planning and preparation. And uh, what we focus on is helping everybody sound and look amazing when recording their content remotely. So I'll be speaking mostly from a remote recording perspective and couldn't agree more with what Dan said. Uh, time and time again, what we see when mistakes are made while recording is lack of preparation, lack of planning, trying to figure stuff out on the go. Um, and I'd hate to admit it, but I actually made this mistake recently with the awesome Vocaster device. So I was so excited to have this new Vocaster device, was having an interview on our podcast, talking about coming to podcast movement, and I forgot to select the audio in interface, so I was recording <laughs> directly from my mic top lap, and it's because we didn't go through the process, didn't check all the boxes, all the steps, and so uh, time and time again, like stuff is always gonna happen. There's a lot of variables when recording remotely, and so the work that you do up front can really set you up for success, along with your guests. That's really what it's all about, is setting up your team or your guests for success, because podcasters have been pretty good for a long time about uh, sounding and looking amazing with uh, not the most resources. So it's really about setting others up for success, knowing what to expect and how to plan accordingly. Oh, don't drop the microphone just yet, Rock, because I got another question. And that's some great uh, follow-up insight for hosts. But I, I realize that it's probably safe to say that Squadcast knows podcast interviews, right? You've done a, little, a, a couple through your platform. Bit. A little bit. A little bit. So are there any tips or instructions that the proactive people that are here in the room can give their, their guests? To, uh, to record a great interview. Yeah, so again, the guest oftentimes is not the most uh, either tech savvy or familiar with recording content, especially remotely. It's a relatively new thing. So we encourage sending instructions, preparing your guests. Our uh, advisor, Harry Duran, uses the phrase treating your guests like gold, which has become somewhat of a mantra for us that you just really can't over communicate enough and there's actually a lot of other steps that we see are really picking up momentum. So back when we started Squadcast, it was quite a heavy lift to expect guests to have equipment or be willing to purchase equipment so you're kind of at the mercy of what they had and frankly anything was better than nothing at all. Having Apple earphones was headphones rather was better than not at all or any type of mic so uh, but what's changed really significantly over the time as podcasting has evolved and we've just seen overall content creation evolve is stuff like sending your guests um, like a little kit with a microphone or a headset or, you know, not the most fancy thing, doesn't have to be super expensive, but stuff like that used to be like, no, I can't do that, that's not going to happen. And now you're seeing podcasters of uh, all levels, whether it's indies just hustling, wearing all the hats, trying to make it happen, or teams, they'll send a kit as well, and that makes more sense because they have the resources, but uh, it really does matter a lot. Sending instructions and just trying to, again, set your uh, guest up for success because, um, you know, they're, they're doing this a lot for the first time, and you don't want them nervous. Like, that, the magic of what we do at Squadcast is help people record, and we do all the heavy lifting, so you have to worry about just creating that content. That's a tough job, and so that's all you really need to be focused on, but your guest is probably a little nervous, so helping them out, kind of break that ice and whatnot, um, it, it, it pays a lot of dividends. Well, thank you for that, Rock. Uh, Jonathan, Stacey, anything, that any tips you can give us to help guests with their interviews? Uh, yeah, so I work for Hindenburg. For those who don't know, Hindenburg is a DAW, it's a recording program 
um, but it was specifically designed for making audiobooks. And even before our integration here with these four companies, there's a common thread, which is that all of these companies are trying to make this process easier for folks that maybe aren't as technically inclined, aren't you know developers or recording engineers and that kind of thing. So what I, I want to completely echo uh, what what uh, uh, what Rockwell said, which is that um, he had said, treat your guests like like they're uh, like gold. Treat yourself like gold too. And there's a great way of doing that, which is avoiding problems before they happen. So if you're going to send your guest a list of these things to do, it's a great idea. When you, let's say you get to the point where you're doing the editing part, which can be really daunting and scary, make a list of maybe a few things that you're gonna have to do every time. Don't, don't try to get overwhelmed with things and try to do too much. And then the other part um, is that there's a reality which is that things are gonna go wrong. It's just how things go. But there's a way of dealing with things going wrong that's an important thing. I do a lot of support, have done for, for years and such, and so much of it has to do with kind of getting the folks to take a step back and figure out what they're looking at. And it's almost always something like, oh, I just need to do this. I need to turn this thing on. So, but if you get frazzled and that kind of thing, it's easy to miss things. We all do it. So make a list for yourself, maybe of like certain things and then have kind of like even maybe like a mental process of like, don't, don't get freaked out. It's just this and then that and then that. And then if it really goes wrong, you can panic. <laughs> It's funny, Jonathan. I was going to ask you the next question. I think you've covered a lot of it. Um, so I'll kind of paraphrase. What are some of the best practices for us while we're recording? Not so much the post-production, but while recording. You mentioned lists. If you had a blank sheet of paper, what are two or three things that you would put on that list for us as we're recording? I could demonstrate one of them. <laughs> and, you know, so the difference between this and the difference between this is just microphone placement, right? So uh, if you're just being consistent, I know that will please Dan. Um, so, you know, just have little things. Like if you know, oh, I always want to be this far away from the mic or whatever it happens to be. Simple thing. Maybe don't rustle the clothing and such like that uh, too much, uh, you know, things of that nature. And if you've ever heard yourself in the, like, listen to yourself um, when you've edited, you might notice you do certain things and you have certain ticks or whatever. So, mm, um, uh, you know, your own personal things. If you can be aware of it before you do stuff, then you don't have to take it out afterwards. So just kind of like knowing your own habits, or even if you hear yourself, you notice that you jump in really loudly at the beginning of sentences and then quiet off and trail off. So I would say just like learn the things that make your own um, performance better, and then be yourself. <laughs> All right. So if you are re interviewing people, such so say you're a moderator interviewing a panel and, and you have questions, you shouldn't you know, mess the, uh, the, the papers next to the microphone? I'm into it, because I kind of like when things go wrong, but it's probably not right, for the right. better, you know. So that list of best practices, don't rustle the list next to the microphone, I like that. But if you do, they have a great denoiser in Hindenburg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because nice. I'm very guilty of that all the time. I'm fidgety, so I have to find things to be fidgety with when I'm podcasting. Usually, it's my mic cable, which is absolutely the worst, because then it, <laughs> it taps on your, your boom arm, and oh. you just make all kinds of noise. But uh, I, I promise we'll get into post-production in a moment. But thank you for the foreshadowing. I, I like that. <laughs> Stacy. let me ask you this. Uh, you know, say we, we've just recorded, and we're ready to publish our podcast, or uh, at least we think we are. Uh, what are some of the do's and don'ts when we're ready to submit our conversations to the world? And you from ACAS, I'm really excited to hear your insight yeah. on that. 
so ACAST, we're a hosting provider, so it is exactly that step in your storytelling workflow. The last point, get that thing out the door and get it into the eyes and the ears of your audience. And this is, a, no surprise, like my favorite part of it. This is where the beauty of podcasting, podcast open ecosystem, technology, just makes this really easy for a lot of us. But there are three things that I think are really, really key. First is make sure your podcast, when you're set, when you have your first episode, we recommend a trailer. Um, make sure it's in all the apps you want it to be in. Take a moment, look in whatever hosting provider you have. Some will do this automatically, like for Acast, we have some set up through APIs that will take care of that for you. But there's some just in the space, like Apple, where you have to go in and you have to make sure you're set up and registered. You don't really want to be in a place where three months later you find out that your podcast isn't some directory or some place that you deem really valuable. So take a moment. The second part is copy. Um, you know, you are tired. You've been researching. You've been interviewing. You've been editing. You've been doing all of this work, hours of time. And when you get into logging into whatever system you use, you're just you want that thing done. You want it published. You want it out the door. But take a moment to look at your copy because you remember that that is how somebody is introduced to your episode. They're going to make real quick judgments. And if you got something spelled wrong, if it doesn't make sense, if you sound like an SEO robot, like someone is not going to click on that episode and hit play. So take a moment, look at your copy, make it, make it clear, make it concise, like do not rush through that step. And then lastly, analytics. Uh, podcast an analytics is kind of like driving a car, uh, not self-driving, but like a regular car. You're, you're, you don't want to always hold the wheel too tight, but you also don't always want to hold the wheel kind of loose. You want to figure out what are the things that are really important <laughs> to get into, um, you know, where your audience is listening, what, what countries they're listening, what types of episodes perform better. Is it like an interview style? Is it a, a narrative style? Like, look at those trends in analytics. Trends are much more important. On the flip side, you might have like a specific episode that has 50 more downloads than another, you might never find out why, and that's okay. Like, don't spend hours researching it. Look at your trends. Realize that with open podcasting, like, people are gonna be picking up episodes left and right. That's the beauty of it. Um, but when you think about incorporating analytics into your storytelling workflow, like, book time each week, if that's something before you publish your episode, after you publish your episode, is it every Sunday afternoon, like an analytics hour, something like that, to make it part of your workflow so that you don't forget about it, you don't panic when you see something that looks weird, and it kind of just becomes natural to you. Anybody else want to follow up with that? Analytics insight? I, I knew the CPA, <laughs> I didn't yeah. say rock, but I knew the CPA would grab it. Analytics. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, falling into the old trope, I guess. Yeah, I did have a, num a re question related to the numbers and data, because I think that's uh, pretty exciting, one of the best benefits of a hosting platform is getting that information. From your perspective though, Stacey, do, how often do podcasters utilize the analytics on the hosting platform? I don't think enough. Um, so again, it's something where you don't need to like every day paying attention the moment your episode drops, look at things like it's, it, that's okay. But we oftentimes have people who kind of don't fully understand like even what apps they're in and like it's just always brand new to them and things like that. So, I mean, if you're a weekly show, like maybe look at your analytics weekly or monthly if that's what your time allows. Um, you don't need to be also like uh, an Excel wizard. You don't need to be exporting and doing like, you know, random tables and things like that. Like just, you know, look at the charts, look where they're going high or low. And again, start to notice trends. I think that's the most important.
Yeah, that's what I've noticed. Um, even as a numbers person in my background, like I don't necessarily like it. It's tough work. It's not necessarily fun. But um, being a more data-driven company and seeing the rest of my team members experience the benefits of it, it's like, wow, this is really worth the work. And you start to see a story form if you just go through that suck. So I was just curious how podcasters are doing that because it's taken a lot of work for our team to become more data-driven. So I want to encourage that for other podcasters. Thank you. Yeah, talking about uh, analytics and uh data-driven trends, a uh, little inside story that you told me about earlier, Rock, it, when you're using Squadcast, especially for your guests, it comes up like, hey, are you using headphones? So you have to acknowledge, yes, I am, or no, I'm not. And you guys look at your, your analytics every year, and it looks like the trend, you said the trend for your remote guests, them wearing headphones is actually increasing. Oh my gosh, it's been amazing. So that's one of the things that I was talking about where we've just seen an evolution uh, which is consistent with the evolution of podcasting and content creation, but just the behaviors and habits of the creators where I think it was around 2020 when we started looking into this data. And according to our data, the shows or recordings happening on podcast, uh, on Squadcast rather, uh, I think it was like 30% were wearing headphones, which looking back, it makes sense. It's not necessarily intuitive how headphones provide a better uh, quality in your recordings. And so there was a lot of like education that we were doing, but also just industry-wide. I think we're all educators. I think that was already been brought up. And so it doesn't matter where it is. Like if it's related to editing or hosting, we're, we're, we're happy to help, even though that's not necessarily our focus, or at least direct you to experts like these all that are sharing the stage with me. Uh, but thankfully, that number has changed. So I said around 30% were wearing headphones, I think around 2019, 2020, and now it's like in the 60s or 70%. So uh, we're seeing a lot of progress, and that's just one of those metrics that we're yeah. seeing progress in. Yeah, I think it was Pat Flynn, uh, and maybe he's quoting somebody else, but oftentimes he said, "Those uh, that that's not measured is ignored. And so you're talking about watching your analytics. If you want to grow your show, focus on the analytics. You guys want to improve audio quality, and the way to do that was to use a microphone, but use headphones. You prompted people, you measured, and it's improving. So that, that's great. All right, so let's get away from analytics. Let's get away from uh, from software. Let's, let's dive back to gear. So Dan, I've got another question for you. Let's assume our our interfaces, our microphone, or perhaps even a, a Focusrite Vocaster. Let's assume well, this beautiful piece of gear. That's yeah. awfully handsome looking and, well, right it there. Is, it is. That is the, gorgeous. The Vocaster's not bad either. You know, I thought you were just... Ah, <laughs> this guy. Uh, let's say it's all set up and it's working correctly. We did it not right before we went live. That's a good piece of advice you gave us earlier. But let's say it's all set up. What kind of tips could you give us for actually using a microphone? I know Jonathan alluded to something earlier, but Dan, you're the gear guy. Give us, give us the, the, gear, it, the gear goods. Mic technique is huge. I'm very bad at mic technique most of the time because most of my day I'm acting like a podcaster, but I'm just on Zoom calls. I think we are all probably doing that these days. Uh, I'm fully remote, so if I communicate with my team, I don't have good mic technique. And right now, I just moved uh, two weeks ago, and I don't even have a mic set up in my studio, which is just really odd for me. Um, so I'm using my Mac microphone right now. It doesn't sound the best. Uh, but I also haven't been podcasting. But mic technique is my biggest thing, is like, make sure you know how to use your microphone. And there's a million videos on mic technique. Um, my basic rule is, if, you, if you're unsure, just kind of make a fist in front, of your, in front of your face, and then put the mic there. And that's a really good distance for, uh, for, for speaking into your microphone. It's also repeatable. So if you don't remember, you can just, your fist isn't going to change size. So you can just put it up there every time. Oh, yep, that's good. And, and that usually ends up being a good, uh, a good one. But then, you know, with, uh, 
uh, other tips for using your, your microphones and interfaces is just, you know, find the one that is best for you, I guess. And always, always <laughs> sniff test your microphone. No, no, no. don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No one wants oh. to hear you sniff in their ear. Oh, yeah. It's all, a... Here we're all getting an emergency alert. Hope it's all right. And the, Somebody the, let us know. Fix it in post. Yeah. Fix it in post. <laughs> fix it in pre. That's what I say. Fix it. Thank you. Thank you. For all the editors in the room, fix it. I recognize a few of the editors in here. Yeah, fix it in pre. Don't throw it on us in post to, uh, to do it. I, uh, <laughs> you know, Rock, let, let me ask you a question. You've already given us some great advice for guests, but what kind of insight can you give us for the production team members, the editors that were giving us grins about uh, fix it in pre? Uh, <laughs> For those of us that do podcast post-production, or even those that uh, that do our own production, what are some of the tips that uh, that you could give us? Yeah, well, we think the best way to scale your podcast is to find a team. It's just there's so many hats to wear, so many jobs to be done. It's impossible to do all of them at a high level, and probably you don't love them all. So for me, editing. Uh, no offense, but I love editors. Well, I guess I'm not offending you then, but um, I don't like to edit. So that's, what, that's where I was coming from. But thank God for the folks that do because they really do help you sound and look amazing and take care of all the stuff that we just normally do, uh, not even notice it. So uh, we're really big on finding a team. We've seen it as a way to, again, scale your, it, you're essentially a micromedia company. And so a good way to do that is to, um, for lack of a better term, outsource the services and, and jobs to be done. And so one of those is editing. It's a, it's a huge job, but we think it's worth that time and effort and money if you can find uh, team members to help you with that. And then there's plenty of other jobs to be done because, yeah, just planning for creating the content, actually creating the content, and then um, editing it, publishing it, and then promoting it, like that's exhausting. And then you got to do it all over again. So finding folks to kind of help balance that out, I think, is a good way to keep up the consistency, because that's another thing that we, I think, all know is really important, is keeping that consistency up, whatever that is. Um, and finding a team has just been a, an incredible way to do it. So teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, I, I'm interested, those in the audience, if you either work for, work with a team or you're a team member for a show, basically a show more than one person, uh, don't worry about raising your hand. Give yourself, uh, let's clap. Who, who works with team? There are team members, I want to hear. Sorry, I didn't come up with something better. Y'all are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to clap, vice raise your hand for those of us that are, are, are watching or listening virtually. That way they can hear. There's quite a few uh, team members out here, so yeah, I'm glad to see that. <clears throat> now, speaking of, uh, of teams and, and post-production, Jonathan, let me ask you something. Uh, Hindenburg is the only digital audio workstation that, that I know of anyway that was built around... Uh, vocal stories, advice starting with, uh, with music production first. What are some of the advice you can give us on producing our digital conversations? And you know, I'll go ahead and throw myself under the bus that everything that I say is not 100% audience worthy. So I really appreciate any podcast post-production advice you can get. And I said all those P's without doing the plosives. Um, so I'm gonna answer that question by answering it as a fan first. And I'm a fan of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts just as a consumer. I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, 
even if they're, so really good podcasts that sound like it's for people maybe having a chat and it's very casual. It's still plotted out very likely and planned out because there's a lot of stuff like dead silence, there may be bits that aren't, don't, you know, just aren't great, ums, ahs, whatever it is. And it's just not very pleasant to listen to. So it's a personal pet peeve of mine when there's maybe some nerdy thing that I'm into and I'm listening to a podcast and they didn't take the time to do that. I can tell because it's bad. And there are just so many podcasts that come out, don't make yours bad is a great mantra to kind of live by. And so even this, this, you know, we're having a pretty casual kind of chat here. There's a theme through it. There's a story. There were bullet points. There are things we we're going to bring up and talk about, which is why it runs like a well-oiled machine right now. So, uh, what, you know, the name of this is creating your story flow, uh, storytelling workflow. I would say do yourself a favor. Outline it. And you can in DAWs, even if you're not using Hindenburg, you should, but if you don't, in other uh, DAWs or programs, things like if you're doing that side of it, outline it. Outline it before you get there, which is a great thing to do. How, what, I mean, I don't know what your podcasts are, what you're working on, but whatever it is, if you can have a plan of what you're going to do as the interviewer, uh, you know, the questions and steer it how it's going to go. If you could have a plan of action then as the editor that coincides that, you know, put those bullet points there, make outlines, put, you know, sections together, all that kind of stuff to make your life easy and don't try to, like there's a, you know, reoccurring theme of don't try to fix it after the facts, basically is what you're hearing. It's the same thing. Doing that in the first place kind of makes the whole thing happen and come together. So if you have an outline, which you should before starting the, the speaking of the questions or anything like that, carry that over into the editing part so you just know what you're going to do. I think that's just respect. Sorry, Mark. Uh, I, I think it. that's just respectful of your audience, your guests, and your show. Um, you know, having an outline is one of the things that I did right on my show. Was you have that structure and also the repeatability of your show. At that point, you can, if you switch around segments, you know, like Stacy was saying, that's one of the places if you can see, like, oh, they liked this segment before that segment better. When you when you do look at your analytics, and you can you can kind of look back at that kind of a thing. And when you have an outline like that. It saves you time when you do get to the end point and you're publishing, but then you're promoting. So when you need to go back and pull like social media clips for using like a tool like Headliner or something like that, you do not want to be re-listening to your, your entire episode. You want to know exactly where you can go in and pull that content out fast. So take the moment, document it beforehand. But then also too, when we're thinking about you know having your beautifully, it looks like it's casual, but it still takes some work type of episode, Keep in mind that your, your outtakes, your bonus content, the things that you might initially think aren't worthy of that specific episode, keep them in mind for things like if you have a subscription, like we were talking about offering earlier, like that's a brilliant thing to put on as a bonus episode. And so don't necessarily think of it as like wasted content. I mean, some of it might be, but um, a lot of it might be really, really valuable. So as you're editing, like kind of keep what comes next in mind, not just for the core episode itself, but as you're thinking about promoting and then as you're thinking about other content. Hindenburg makes it super easy in the editing process with clipboards. I yeah. love dropping outtakes and things into my clipboards and saving them for later. I, in post, yeah. And as well setting, to your point, Stacey, setting the markers when you know you just had a flub, like, oh, let me find this uh, later. All right, I got one more question. It looks like we're going to have plenty of time for Q&A, so please stick around. Start thinking about what questions you want to ask this great panel here for creating your story, telling workflow. Uh, Stacy, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I've noted on your homepage that uh, podcasts hosted on ACAST collectively see 400 million listens a month. 400 million a month. Wow. 
So more than one or two, okay. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like you're the right person to ask this question. Uh, what advice can you give us to make the most out of our shows after publishing? So we get out there, we have a portion of that 400 million a month. What can we do to get the most out of our shows? When I think about the most, I think for a lot of people, it means monetization. Um, you know, you can have a ton of listens, but if you don't have a strategy for monetization, I think for a lot of us, it's not always the most effective. Really think about monetization early. Like if you haven't launched or if you're starting a new show, for example, it doesn't, you don't need to have oodles of episodes and then think about what you want to do next. It's going to influence what hosting provider you choose and what you want to be able to do with them. It's going to influence where you put ad breaks. Even if you don't have ads yet, understand where they could go for like a mid-roll position. It's going to shape how you talk about your show and when you have a moment to get into monetization. You're not going to have to rework how your, your podcast episode is structured. And think about what you'd be comfortable with. You know, what kind of brands is something that you feel would be a right fit for your episodes and for your content. Um, but then also, I really encourage uh, every podcaster consider a podcast subscription. Uh, Acast Plus has one, but there are others in the marketplace as well. It's something that is for your loyal fans or super fans, and it sits alongside your ad strategy. So it's not, it does not compete. It does not compete with your free feed as well. It's not something that is going to cannibalize your audience in that way. It's gonna give you something to be able to both interact with your super hyper fans, let them support you on a reoccurring basis, but then also just, just learn and give you some source of revenue that is not strictly ads-based. It's a really great offering, and I really think you don't have to be at a certain listenership, you don't have to be in a certain genre or anything like that. Like, really any podcast can find an, a niche for a subscription service. Okay, hey, just show of hands, who would like to make more money from their podcast? One, two, only three, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe a dozen. So. Everyone else is happy, they, they, no more money for them. I, I, you know, to that point, I put in fake ads in my podcast because, with monetization in mind in the future, so I just do very respectful ad reads in my show, usually kind of funny um, because I use defunct companies like Sears and uh, Toys R Us and, you know, That's airlines sad. that are out of business, but I actually do the research and give them really good ad reads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but so in the future, that's what I was thinking of. I was, I was thinking of, I can put in real sponsors here because they'll see I did a good job with these fake ads. Excellent. I have, a question. I have a question for Stacy. actually. It's, it's uh, just on what you said. So um, I've done uh, some part of the, you know, the marketing, advertising, and all that. And um, whenever you're going on a big, let's say it's Facebook, some giant platform, I mean, what they recommend, and they all do this, is they say, don't cast a wide net target everything to your people and all of that. Can you um, talk a little bit about that? I'm just curious. No, that's really good. I think a couple things to think in mind is to hit, you want your show to be consistent for the right people in that way. So if you think that your audience is going to expect, you know, a, a monthly or a weekly episode or a daily episode, if you're doing like a new show or something like that, or if you're tying your podcast to specific events like Oscar season or things or seasons or things like that. I think making yourself marketable and appealing to those who you want, like consistency is really important. I think right now we know the marketplace in podcasting is incredibly competitive and we're all like, you know, getting that share of ear to use like the Edison phrases. And I think finding your people and being aggressive and realizing that they might not be where you think, like you might have a huge, some of like our, for ACAST in particular, 
international audiences. Like, you know, it's not something that's innate for a lot of US podcasters to really think about, but there's a lot of opportunity in places that aren't here. And I think both finding your people, but realizing that your people might come from, you know, different shapes and sizes and locations is really important. But I think knowing your identity, being consistent, you know, giving yourself an episode that is same successful, but same structure and same format is really something that can kind of can help you build that. Okay, thank you. Well, we've got about 10 minutes for Q&A, uh, so make sure everyone hears your questions as well as those virtually. Raise your hand, we got a microphone We got a microphone coming around, coming around. nice. I think we've got, uh, got one, I, we'll, we'll start here, that way it's closer to you. <laughs> check, check. We have plenty of time for everybody. So when I was thinking about uh, storytelling workflow, um, specifically, I'm doing some episodes as more of an educational podcast. And I'm going to be interviewing different people, putting more than one voice into an episode. So now the interviews are spaced apart. I'm going to have to do this. I guess this is really a question for Jonathan in terms of organizing and thinking through how to write and structure that kind of a session. And then even just like how to not get so stuck into the loop of that that now it's like seven months and I haven't published a damn thing. So not the tech, but more of the thought. Yeah. The right. The thought and the overall. Well, it, it coincides with the tech, I guess. But um, what? Do you mind if I ask? Just shout it out. What uh, What program were you using to edit it in? Primarily audition. Audition. Okay. Uh, I know that one less, but uh, I'm sure a few <laughs> things. One is that they probably have some type of tool to put markers in, which is just text for you. It doesn't have anything to do with the final product. But it's really important because you can know, um, you know, this voice starts here, okay? Um, so as Dan mentioned, this tool that's in Hindenburg, which is a clipboard, it's for this exactly. You just have, let's say, all of, um, all of Dan's comments from this discussion. You, could just, you just put them all very fast in there. If you don't have that, though, you can still kind of go through it, at least mark it or save those pieces somewhere and assemble it later. It's kind of like how you would want to assemble it. If you try to do everything or start everything from the beginning, I mean, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but um, if you just put every, like import everything at zero and try to put the stuff over here, it's gonna be a nightmare. So sort of like start with one, you know, maybe one voice, but have the file itself marked up and know, okay, at this point, we're gonna start talking about post-production, here's where we start talking about, the, I'll just use an hour example, this is where we're gonna start talking about the publishing, then we go back to, to how did we record remotely. Put markers in there, and then if you can mark up the text, you probably can even write on the audio itself. You can put little notes, some of them have little uh, notebooks and stuff, that's what all that's for. That's my answer. And one thing to keep in mind, um, coming from kind of like a product manager mindset, but don't always think that you need this, you have in your head of how many interviews you need to have in it, how many voices that you want to have. But your audience might get value from one or two interviews, and then the next episode might be three or four interviews. Like, think about how fast you can give something to your audience that gives them value, because that's the only thing they care about. We think about having this most, you know, crafted, beautiful, like, and, came from NPR, like I know that instinct of having it be this beautiful piece. But if you are sitting on some things that you think your audience can get value from, like put it out there. You know, it doesn't have to, it can be two to three episodes and it doesn't have to be just the one. I can think of a good visual of what I'm thinking of. Um, that's a great, a great uh, idea as well. Uh, a cooking show. Uh, when you watch a cooking show, all of the, um, the ingredients are measured out in little bowls and stuff beforehand. They don't show you the part where they go to the fridge, look around, get one thing out, forget where, 
that's all done beforehand. So do that prep work and then putting it together is a lot easier. Okay, thank you for that, Jonathan and Stacy. We got uh, one more question from the audience. Uh, my name is John Dunkerley. I haven't started a podcast yet. Uh, I'm very interested in the prospect though, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to approach, you know, creating a podcast since, you know, I'll likely be doing it on my own from home with uh, a Snowball Ice USB mic and Adobe Audition. You know, I've been trying to work with audio and video editing for a while, but, you know, I figured that trying to approach it from this angle would be more uh, substantial and I guess uh, better suited for my skill set. I guess my question is how would it be best, if you're working on something on your own, how would it be best to structure your discussion because if it's not, if it's not like, if it's like say an opinion discussion podcast, how would you recommend you would structure uh, the discussion so you either you keep the attention of the audience or you don't uh, run into rambling okay. Points. Yeah, so one clarifying question on that, uh, when you say discussion, are you talking about like an interview, like you and, uh, and a guest, or do you have a solo show? So, as a target, I'm considering a solo show. Considering solo. Opinion-driven. Opinion yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay, so you, you and yourself. All right. A any, any questions? Uh, Rock? Well, I think what's already been mentioned has been extremely helpful for us on our show. So when we were starting off our show, it was an interview show, so a little bit different, but hopefully... Uh, the lesson learned can be relevant to you. So I was very like, I wanted the guests to enjoy their experience. I wanted them to know that we cared and we put in the work to um, do our research on them. I wanted to make them feel good and like we really were excited to have them on the show. Treat them like gold. But I like how what you said, we need to treat ourselves like gold too. I don't think about it enough. But uh, back to you. Um, so what we found that worked was like being too rigid and having all of the questions that we wanted to ask outlined just didn't give us a lot of opportunity to flow and it also led to a less tight type of show and so what, what was mentioned here has worked wonders for us on our show having an outline so we have a general guideline of what we want for the show where we want to take it but also leave room for uh, spontaneity for those serendipitous moments and stuff like that I think the same can be applied to a solo show because it can be a little rambly and then you're just like okay well I'm done boom but um, so having some kind of like keeping it tight, the, the, what they say about the best length for a podcast, and I do think it's true, although it might be cliche at this point, is it's as long as it needs to be. So that can be three hours, that can be three minutes, 15 minutes, but uh, no more than it needs to be. And, and uh, I found an outline to help tremendously. I think a trap we can all fall into when we're creating our own show is everything we say is what we think people want to hear. But sometimes you have to think of it from the listener's perspective and think about what you want to listen to as a podcaster and make sure you, you, know, you get to the points and, and move forward and you know, give, I, I think you said an opinion show, give a counter opinion as well. You know, so, and, and if you want to argue against that, you can do that and then move on to something else. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of room for, um, for creativity in that, but there's also uh, a lot of room to I, I forgive me for saying for like like ramble. I ramble a lot. So I, I for example, I have an interview podcast that I had a 38 minutes. I cut down to 12 because I just talk too much. So think about it from your audience perspective. I could have easily kept that at 38 minutes, but then I was thinking of my audience like, no, they're not going to want to hear all this nonsense. <laughs> so yeah, think of your audience. I think is a is a good point. 
So create something that you yourself would want to listen to. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. a good one. All right, I see a couple people about to raise their hand. Are going to raise your hand? Right, you're first. Right. I got. Where's, I got one. Oh, you got the mic already. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I, and this may be the last one, but I, before we uh, answer the this question or ask this question, uh, I want to thank uh, you all for for coming up on stage. They each have thank a booth you, in the expo hall, so please check out. Of Focus Right, Squadcast, Acast, and, and Hindenburg in the Expo Hall. If you have further questions, follow-ups, do reach out to them. So I want to make sure to, to throw that out there. And Mark Deal, everybody. Come on. Mark oh, Deal. Oh, yeah. Mark thank, Deal. Thank he uh, is the Deal, best. Yeah. The podcast, podcast Editor Academy. Yeah, our club. We have over 8,000 professional podcast editors that work on many, many, many shows. So we've seen in one or two episodes. Yeah, go ahead. The final question. Hey there, so um, I'm Mitch. Uh, I am a narrative producer for The Scope Radio from University of Utah Health. We do medical shows, talk shows, um, and I do stories. Um, we've won some awards. We've done really, really good content. And I think that our team has done a really, really good job making some solid episodes and series and releasing them in time. But we don't have an audience. Like, the audience is extraordinarily small. And it grows slowly, slowly, slowly. How much time, compared when we're talking about a workflow, do you guys spend on pre-production, production, and promotion? It's that last part that I'm wondering if my little three-person team just does not have uh, before, you know, the resources. I think I know who the perfect person is on this panel to answer that. But before I point them to your question was specifically how much time from promotion, from production to promotion. I guess my feedback is. Uh, whether it's 20% or 80%, do you, do you want the promotion tips or do you just want to know how much time? The, of course, all right, I just wanted to clarify. It's not so much how much time, but what can you do? Stacy, you know I'm gonna come yeah, to you for no, this. this I love this. Um, I think part of it, you can get sucked in and thinking that you have to promote your show for every day of the week on every single platform and every single format. And it's not feasible for anybody. It's not feasible for major media brands. It's not feasible for you know medium to small podcasters. So I think when it comes to thinking about communicating and talking to your audience on platforms, whether it's social, whether it's in like a Discord community, whether it's you know in person events, if you're doing things like that, I would. Two, of th two things, I would lean into where your team and yourself personally just feel natural. Like some people are not natural on Twitter and it shows and it's awkward. And you know, and there's some people who, you know, say what you will about Facebook, but Facebook groups can like, they're the most amazing podcast communities there. And that is the only thing that these podcasts care about. And I think if that is where you yourself or your team like feel like, yeah, I get it, I can moderate this, I can handle this, I can have a conversation, I'm on this platform every day anyway, um, I think lean into that and then you know, it's okay if you don't have a Twitter handle or you're not on YouTube or something like that. Um, but then on the flip side of that, it is also then where your audience is engaged. So, you know, if health professionals, for example, are hyper, you know, they love Reddit and like Reddit, if that's their place, then it, you also kind of need to, to meet them part of the way. I would love to hear others' thoughts on the time percentage um, because, again, it's, I, I think it's, which is a bad answer, it's circumstantial, but. As a marketing manager, I spend almost no time promoting my show because that's what I do all day, but I outsource it. Just like the things yeah. you don't want to do, like they mentioned before, just outsource the things you don't want to do. Yep, yeah. hone your craft, hand off the crap. I like that. And for some of us, promotion is crap. And that's fine, at least for me, because some of you love, uh, love promotions. But like, it's all, yeah, it's like be authentic too. Like people know when you're just like trying to throw it out there and 
Yeah, it's a grind. And like notably with social media, like it can be it can be exhausting. It can feel like you're always like going into this whole kind of thing. So kind of pick your battles and experiment, see what works, make some big bets, you know, if you want to throw it on YouTube and see what happens, like go for it and see if that brings audience. Um, but I also think there has to be a little bit of it's okay if you're not doing everything. Okay. Like that's fine. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's the time we have, everybody. Thank you, uh, Dan with Focusrite. Stacy with ACAST. Jonathan with Hindenburg. And Rock with Squadcast. And thank you thank all you. for coming to our panel, creating Thanks, a everybody. storytelling workflow. Thank you all for coming. Come and if you got more questions, booths. they all have booths. Go all have find booths. them. Expo Hall. Thanks, everybody.